0: All right. Uh, we're going to go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 21. Appreciate that, Brother Ricky. Genesis chapter 21. Again, we have been uh, studying through the life of Abraham uh, in our in our study in Genesis uh, for quite some time. We've been on Abraham. And one thing that when you're studying about Abraham in Genesis, uh, one thing that's going to continue to come up over and over and over again is, uh, is the word covenant, and as, which, uh, of course, would be associated with the Abrahamic covenant or the covenant that God made with Abraham. And, uh, you know, that is a, a very important uh, covenant. It was a, a covenant that uh, God would carry out. Of course, uh, within the next few hundred years, he was going to... Uh, to begin carrying that out uh, more fully. Uh, but of course, the, the fullness of the Abrahamic covenant uh, is seen in Jesus. And again, I know I've, I've called attention to this a couple of times, but over Matthew chapter 1, in the beginning of his genealogy, when it's presenting him as the Christ or the Messiah, it says, Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And, uh, and so that that genealogy shows how he fulfilled both the covenant that God made with Abraham and the covenant that God made with David, of course. Um, but nevertheless, that is one thing that continues to come up over and over again. And uh, so I wanted to ask, uh, you know, uh, just as a refresher, and I know you know, nobody likes being put on the spot, but if some of you can, uh, can think of this and give an answer, that would be great. Um, but but just to, to try to uh, give us an idea of what the Abrahamic covenant was. What What was the covenant that God made with Abraham? Make a great nation, okay, all right. Multiply his seed, okay. There's another very important key factor in... Okay, all the earth will be blessed through him. Right, okay, all right. And there's another important key factor as well. All right, which, which goes in with the, uh, the nation part of it. But the land, the land was also a, a very, extremely important part of this as well. So, uh, in the covenant, God promised him, first of all, to make his name great, uh, to, to multiply his seed and make a nation out of him, and to bless, you know, to give him a land and to bless uh, all nations through him. And that was, you know, just in a nutshell, that is what the Abrahamic covenant uh, was about. Now, of course, uh, as we talked about the Messiah, Um, You know that I think when it says you know that all nations of the earth shall be blessed through you I think uh, the fullness of that was seen in Christ you know because uh, through him truly all nations have been blessed and I think we're going to see even more of that uh, during the millennial reign as well uh, whenever he begins to rule all nations and and uh, so anyway yes that is the Abrahamic covenant now. Uh, of course, God brings him to the land. He says, you know, move away from your kindred, your family, your country, all that. He says, and come into a land that I will give to you. And, and, you know, as we know, Abraham never claimed the land for himself. As matter of fact, I don't know that he ever owned any. Maybe he bought a little parcel of land here and there. But uh, the land of Canaan itself was not given to him at that time. He was a sojourner in the land of Israel for all that time. But eventually the land would be given to him a little bit later on. Of course, whenever uh, you know, after Moses led the people up, and then Joshua led them in to, to conquer the land, the land actually became theirs, and so uh, that was already beginning to uh, to work into practice. Uh, you know, there were, there were some other things that God was already beginning to do, but but one thing that was very important if uh, if Abraham was ever to become a great nation, one thing had to happen, and what was that? He had to have a child, right? And so for all these years, you know, he was childless, and. Uh, And God promised him, he promised him and Sarah that through them he would build a a great nation. And uh, and so, you know, Genesis has been building up to this and building up and building up uh, to this moment whenever finally this promised child was going to be born. And that's where we are uh, in chapter 21. We can kind of sum this up all in verses 1 and 2 when it says, The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. Why, for Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him. And uh, just, you know, two short little verses, but, you know, really just, uh, just wonderful uh, promises that are being kept, wonderful blessings that are being given. And then, of course, uh, this builds up to the, the creation of a, uh, of a nation. Now, remember that our uh, division of Genesis at this point is the beginning of Israel, And for the last several sheets that I've uh, passed out, and I'm sorry I didn't have one today, but the last several sheets that I've passed out, uh, at the very top it says, The beginning of Israel. Well, it started with Abraham, but it continued through his seed, uh, Isaac. And uh, the birth of Isaac is just a very, very important part of of Genesis and of the Abrahamic covenant. And that's what we're looking at tonight. Now there's a few things we're going to look at as we go down through this lesson. And uh, the first thing that we're going to see is the promise in verses one through seven. The promise. Now, the first thing we must concern ourselves with is God's timing in verses one through three. Now, again, we'll read in chapter twenty-one, verses one through three. It says, "And the Lord visited Sarah as He had spoken, and the Lord did unto Sarah as He had spoken, for Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age, and at the, at the time, excuse me, at the set time of which God had spoken to him." In verse 3 it says, And Abraham called the name of his son that was born unto him, who Sarah bare to him Isaac. Now again, we find over and over in Scripture that although God is not limited by time, time is very important to God. And that's something we, we must always keep in mind is that, uh, you know, as I said, even though God is infinite, uh, God is timeless a thousand years or as a day to God, even though time is not a a problem for him, time is very important to him. And, you know, one of my favorite verses in the Bible is Galatians 4.4, 4, where it says, And when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we may receive the adoption of sons. And uh, you know that, that verse is just so important because uh, you know for all this time, you know in Genesis we see where man falls, we see where man is hopelessly in sin, we see where man needs a savior. But God doesn't send the Christ; He sends sacrifices. Uh, to point towards Jesus and, and for several thousand years uh you know they're they're waiting on the christ they're waiting on the the sacrifice to come who can finally take away their sin, but God doesn't send him until the fullness of time was come at the, at the very god was God is very concerned with time, and when we consider this with uh, with Abraham and with Sarah, the Lord did not give this couple a child in their prime. Now you think about this if uh, Abraham and Sarah had had, uh, had, excuse me, Isaac at a young age. Let's say, you know, maybe in their 30s or so, they, they have Isaac. Okay, and then God says, You and, and your wife and your son, you come on over to, to Canaan, and I'm going to make a great nation out of you. Uh, all of that still would have worked out because Isaac still would have been, you know, the son that was going to continue to see, and all those things would have happened. That's not what God did, though. God didn't give them a son in, in their young age. Um, whenever they moved to Canaan, God did not allow Sarah to conceive in that time. They were still waiting that they had to do. There was still, you know, all this time that they had to to sit around and watch and wait. You know, when is this promise going to take place? How is God going to perform this? How how are we going to be a great nation? We don't even have a son. And so then, of course, they began trying to figure out ways to uh, to help God with that. And and we do that sometimes as well. But you see, the thing is that God had a specific time in which this son was to be born. And I love what it says here. Uh, It says in verse 2, it says, For Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son, notice this, first of all, in his old age, at the set time. (laughs) When did God set that time? At the beginning, right? In the beginning. God, God had that time set. Now, He also told... Sarah, uh, I think nine months earlier, I'm going to come back in the time of life and and you're going to have a son. But I, I love what it says there, In the, at the set time. God had a time set. Hey, this, was, this was perfect timing. When Isaac was born, it was exactly the right time for him to be born. And uh, I love that verse. And so God is very concerned with time. Now I want you to think about this. Name at least one thing that God's perfect timing Accomplished here? Just one. Yeah, just at least one. The on God's timing, on the birth of Isaac. What, what did that accomplish? And him waiting until this time? He wasn't exposed to the of the heathen earlier. Okay. Right, okay, very good. Alright, there's one anybody else with anything. Now you think about this. Even as as faithful and as um, you know, as much as Abraham loved God and, and understood that, that God was the creator and all those things, what is man's tendency to do when they achieve greatness? To go their own way. To go their own way and to claim it for themselves. Right. And to the Lord. Right. Well, and even if they don't, you think about their generations after them. What are they to begin doing, idolizing the man who, who did all this? Now, if Abraham and Sarah had been able to, to bear a child... You know, as everyone else was in the in the prime of their life, and was able to bear a child, and he, you know, and he, you know, they, God built this great nation out of them. A little bit later on, uh, whether Abraham decided to do it or not, Abraham would have been looked at as the father of our nation. Abraham built this great nation, but you see, Abraham and Sarah didn't have a son in their young age. God waited until she was past the time of bearing children. It would have been impossible other ladies at her age to to bear children. Abraham was a hundred years old. Sarah was in her 90s. And God says, this is when you're going to have a child. Why? Because generations later, people are going to say, you know what? God built this nation. They were without child. They couldn't have one. For all those years, Sarah was bearing. But at the set time, when the time was right, God blessed and he gave them a son, and he built this nation. And I think that's very important. I, you know, if anything else is shown, uh, any, you know, uh, any accomplishment is shown out of God's perfect timing here. And I'm sure there was many other things in, that God had in mind whenever he chose this time for Isaac to be born. But uh, that, that's one great thing that I think uh, we need to understand and realize is that Abraham did not build the nation of Israel, God did. He's the one who, who gave them their son. And uh, that was important for Abraham to, to notice and remember as well. Now we find Abraham's obedience down in verses 4 through 5. It says uh, there in verse 4, it says, And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac, being eight days old, as God had commanded him. And Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born unto him. Uh, we find that Abraham obeyed God's command to go ahead and circumcise his son, as, as God had previously commanded him to do every uh, male in, the, uh, in, the, in his camp. Uh, and you think about this, even before the law, notice that Abraham waited until the eighth day to circumcise his son and to dedicate him to the Lord, which uh, became part of the, one of the commandments in the law was to uh, on that eighth day for that to happen. So God already had some things working here, even before the law. Now we see Sarah's laughter in verses 6 through 7. I love these verses. Uh, and 6 through 7 it says, And Sarah said, God hath made me to laugh so that all that hear will laugh with me. And she said, Who would have said unto Abraham that Sarah should have given children suck? For I have born a son in his old age. Now, I just want you to think with me just for, for a second. Can you imagine the joy that Sarah and Abraham felt when they finally got to hold their newborn son? I mean, they've been hearing about this child, they've been waiting on this child. As a couple, they've been waiting on this child, you know, their, their, their whole marriage. Uh, basically, their whole lives they've been waiting on on this son to be born, and uh, and finally, finally, they're able to hold him in their own hands and and uh, you know of course uh, uh, do what what young parents are going to do, or new parents. After all those years of seeing other women in the camp give birth, uh, and even her own servant conceiving and bar- and giving her husband a child, uh, Sarah finally had her own son. She said, "Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would give nurse?" To their own child, holding Isaac in her hand, she said, "God has made me laugh, and all who hear will laugh with me." Now, what was the baby's name? Y'all remember that? What does Isaac mean? Laughter. Laughter, right? And uh, and I think it's you know if, it's kind of humorous if you look back and and think about the the times that Sarah laughed. First time Sarah laughed, it was in doubt. God said, "Sarah's going to bear a child." She said, "Yeah, okay." <laughs> You know, and uh, then of course God said, "Why does Sarah laugh?" She, said, I didn't laugh. I didn't do anything. Yeah. And um, but here she is. She's laughing again. This time it's in something totally different. I mean, just basking in the joy of this actually coming to pass. And of course, all of us, all of us parents can can understand where she is there. But just think about how long they have waited. And uh, here she is. She she's able to laugh in joy. And uh, I love those verses there. Now we see the problem in verses eight through thirteen. Isaac's celebration is recounted is counted in, uh, in verse 8. It says, And the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast the same day that Isaac was weaned. Uh, now, usually, just for your, your own information there, uh, usually children were weaned between the ages of 2 and 3 years old. And so this wasn't you know, just like a couple of months that it, that it passed on. Uh, you know, He was a toddler at this time. And uh, we find here that in verse 8, when Isaac was weaned, uh, that Abraham threw a party in celebration, uh, as was customary to do so. Now, you know, it's my understanding that I, I don't think they celebrated birthdays every single year of a child's life, and, uh, and so you know they didn't have little parties and, and one and two and three. But uh, what they would do is, is at certain times in their life, they would make up for it and just throw a really big one. And uh, one of those, I believe, was at the weaning of the child, as we find here uh, with with Isaac, and then later on, of course, uh, in, in the Jewish uh, you know, community. You had uh, the bar mitzvahs, and things as they got older. The wedding was a huge, you know, a huge ordeal whenever they got married. So different events in their life. Uh, you know, they would throw these great celebrations. And so here he is uh, at his time of weaning. Abraham throws this uh, this party or this feast and celebration. And uh, and so we find here that a problem begins to arise in verse nine. We see Ishmael's mockery in verse nine. It says, "And Sarah saw the son of Hagar." The Egyptian, which she had borne unto Abraham, mocking. Now, who is this son? Who is this, this boy? Ishmael. Ishmael, right? So here they are. They're having a, a weaning party for Isaac, and uh, Ishmael, who is about, I think, fourteen years old, uh, somewhere around this time. Uh, he, he's sitting back and he's mocking, you know, Isaac, and and uh, Sarah, I guess, come comes around. And she she catches him doing that, and of course that infuriates her, and uh, so. We find uh, that in, in the rest of these verses, Sarah repeats all these things before Abraham and demands that he and his mother be cast out for good. If you look in verse uh, 10, it says, Wherefore she said unto Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son, talking about Hagar and, and Ishmael. It says, For the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, even with Isaac. Uh, now, Sarah, this evidently made this was kind of last straw with Sarah, and she said, Throw him out. I don't want I don't want him here, I don't want her here. You get them out of here. Uh you know, there's not enough room here for the two of us. And um you know, I was thinking about this. Sarah had had problems with uh with Hagar before. If you remember uh back when Hagar had the child, she began to, to mock Sarah and things like that. And uh Sarah Sarah threw her out at that time as well, but then they, they brought her back. Um and she probably saw here this was, this was going to be a lifelong issue. If Ishmael and Isaac were to stay in the same household, this was going to be a problem they were going to have to deal with you know, for the rest of their lives. And so if it wasn't taken care of immediately, uh, then there was going to be, be trouble down the road. And so she went to Abraham. She said, you know, we're, we're done with this. Get them out of here. Send them away. Uh, plus, nobody messes with mama's baby. Right, <laughs> and uh, and that was it. So wasn't gonna let anybody mess with her baby. And so Abraham, we find, was heartbroken over this issue with Ishmael. Um, but despite the circumstances, uh, you know, he he let them go. If we read it down in verse 11, it says, "And the thing was very grievous in Abraham's sight because of his son." Now, you know, regardless of what was going on, you know, regardless of why Ishmael was there, or, or the you know what happened to, to bring him into this family. Ishmael was Abraham's son just as much as Isaac was. And uh, you know, so this thought of throwing him out, you know, I don't know if he, he had you know, any care for Hagar whatsoever, but the idea of throwing Ishmael out, you know, it really bothered him. And uh, so, of course, he goes to the Lord about this, and the Lord counsels him to listen to his wife. And we continue reading verse 12 and 13. It says, And God said unto Abraham, Let it not be grievous in thy sight because of the lad and because of thy bondwoman. And all that Sarah has said unto thee, hearken unto her voice, for in Isaac shall thy seed be called. And also the son of the bondwoman will I make a nation, because he is thy seed. Now God says to Abraham, he says, you know, don't, don't, don't be heartbroken over this. You know, don't, don't worry about them. Uh, go ahead and do as Sarah says. Leave, leave them out, because it's not fitting for him to be there. He can't be an heir you know, with your son. And so go ahead and send them out but he says, I will make him a great nation too, because he's your seed. I'm going to bless him, and, uh, and he will be taken care of. And so Abraham goes ahead and uh, sends them away. And as troubling as that was for Abraham, it was, it was the best uh, in the long run for them to do that. Now, as I was reading through these verses, uh, looking at, at what was happening here, I, I called a uh, little side note in one of the study bibles that I have. Uh, that referred me over to something that Paul wrote uh, concerning this issue as well. Interestingly enough, uh, Paul revealed a hidden meaning, uh, hidden meaning in this event. While he was writing to the churches of Galatia concerning their freedom from uh, the law through Christ, Paul was led to the account of Isaac and Ishmael. Now, I may bring this up here in a little bit, but if you remember, the book of Galatians was written to the churches of Galatia. And uh, which was Asia Minor, the the Turkey area right now. It was written to uh, to those churches there throughout that region. Now, what had been happening is, is during that time, uh, Jewish proselytes from Israel had been coming back through, following Paul's ministry, and saying, "Okay, you know, well, fine, you believe in Jesus, but uh, if you're really going to be saved, then you have to keep it. you still have to keep the law. Or if you're going to keep your salvation." then you still have to keep the law. And so they were going through and, and uh, kind of messing up what had been taught. And if you remember, Paul wrote back to them. He said, I, I am shocked that you are so soon removed you know, from what I taught you. He said, you know, there, there's only one gospel, and that is the gospel that I presented unto you. And uh, that's where he says, you know, if, if any man teaches any other gospel to you than, than what I've taught, let that man be accursed. And, uh, and so he goes through the book of Galatians and he's, he's trying to show them that the law has nothing to do with salvation. As a matter of fact, grace, the grace that we're under now, is uh, superior to the law. And so he's trying to show them, you know, why it's a, a foreign, it should be a foreign thought for them to think that the law could give them any benefit whatsoever anymore. And so in this uh, this case that he's presenting to the churches of Galatia concerning the law, he brings up a story. The one we just read here between uh, Isaac and Ishmael. If you'll turn over to Galatians chapter 4 and verse 21, we'll look at what what Paul says there about that. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 21. And this is where we'll be spending the rest of our lesson. So we're not going to be going back to Genesis, so you may want to go ahead and just turn there. Galatians chapter 4, in verse 21, now Paul says this, he says, Tell me, you that desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondswoman, the other by a free woman. But she that was of the bondswoman, was, or he, excuse me, that was, that was of the bondswoman, uh, was born after the flesh, but he of the free woman was by promise, which things are an allegory. For these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gendereth to bondage, which is Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and answereth to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in bondage with her children. But Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice, thou barren that bearest not, break forth and cry, thou that travailest not, for the desolate hath many more children than she which hath an husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. But as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the Spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what saith the Scriptures? Cast out the bondwoman and her son. For the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. Now those are uh, some very interesting verses. Uh, Paul is bringing out some things here. Uh, you know that we've never seen before, and any Jewish person uh, had never seen before, of course, the Gentiles would not have maybe have been familiar with everything that was going on here but uh you, you keep this in mind um, that none of this would have been made available. none of this information that Paul just revealed here would have been available until after. And it seems as though he chose to reveal this through Paul. Uh, But that account that we just read between Isaac and Ishmael and the casting out of the bondwoman and her son, all that, uh, has a a deep spiritual application uh, for us as well. And so I want us to go back through, and we're going to look at uh, some of the things that Paul brings out here. Now, this is some pretty deep stuff, uh, and I'm not even sure that that I'm all... (laughs) I, I'm very deep into it right now. So I, I'm going to try to do the very best that I can from what I understand of these verses, you know, to explain this. And there's still probably going to be some questions in your minds when I get through because there's questions in my mind about uh, some of this stuff as well. So I, I know it's not all going to be uh, crystal clear, but I do want us to look at what we can understand about this. And uh, and then I encourage you to continue studying yourself on some of these verses and, and see if you can, uh, you know, get in a little bit more. And I, I'm going to keep looking at this as well. Uh, some very interesting stuff here. Now, just to break it down very simply, uh, we find two sons here in verses 21 through 23. Of course, we know who they are. But in 21 through 23, he says this. And I, I, do, uh, I like this, how he says this. Tell me, you that desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? Are you not listening to what the law says? He says, for it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman and uh, the other by a free woman. But he that was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh, but he of the, prom, of the, of the pre-woman was by promise. As so we find there in verse 23. Now again, keep in mind that these Jewish proselytes had been coming through and convincing the churches that they had to keep the law to, to be saved or to keep the salvation. And so Paul asks this. He says, do you not hear the law? Now concerning these two sons, he says one son was born of the flesh, and one son was born of the promise. Now what did he mean by that? Who was born of the flesh? And why did, why did he say that Ishmael was born of the flesh? Right, exactly. That, that wasn't part of God's covenant or part of God's plan. And so that was completely after the flesh that, that Ishmael was born. Now he says the other one was born of the promise. Who was that? Isaac, okay, Isaac was born of the promise, and why, why does it say he was born of the promise? That's what God, right, exactly, he was the son that God had promised. okay? So through Isaac, really what we're finding here is that through Isaac, uh, not only was, was Isaac the promise, but there would be a lineage through Isaac that would, that would complete the promise uh, that God had made. Through Isaac, the nation of Israel would be born, Okay, and so we have these two sons. We have Ishmael of the flesh. We have Isaac of the promise. Now, we also find two covenants here in verses 24 through 27. It says, uh, which things are an allegory. Now, what's an allegory? Sorry? All right, yeah, exactly. A story with a picture. mean, yeah, if we want to... However, really you want to put that. Okay, so it says, uh, "Which things are an allegory? For these are the two covenants: the one from Mount Sinai, which gendereth unto bondage, which is Agar, or Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and answereth to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in bondage with her children." All right. So, if we look in these two verses, uh, you know, just to try to filter through what's what's being said here. Hagar, in this story, in our story of, uh, of uh, Isaac and Ishmael, Hagar uh, pictures the covenant that was made on Mount Sinai. Now, what covenant or, or what was given on Mount Sinai? The law, right? And remember when Moses went up on the mountain, God gave him the, the law and the commandments and all those things? Okay, so it says that Hagar is equal, pictures Mount Sinai. Which, of course, that law that God gave to Moses on Mount Sinai was a law of bondage upon the children of Israel. And we find that several times later that, you know, uh, that Israel was never going to be able to keep that law. It was a law of bondage. It was a law of death. Uh, you know, if, if uh, by that law, death came, you know, but of course, God also implemented some things. If you'll, uh, you know, if you'll make this, if you'll look towards my sacrifice, if you'll you know, see all that, you know, there can be life, of course, but, but the law itself was a law of bondage, of slavery and death. But in our story uh, with, with Ishmael and Isaac, Sarah, which was Isaac's mother, Sarah uh, pictured uh, the heavenly Jerusalem, which equals freedom, as we find in verse 26. It says, but Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. Now, we're going to go back and talk about this uh, Jerusalem here for just a second. We find that in these pictures, Jerusalem is also used in two different ways, okay? Now, the first time that we see Jerusalem used is in uh, verse 25. It says, this Hagar is Mount Sinai. We already said that. Hagar pictures Mount Sinai, which answers or corresponds to Jerusalem. Now, this Jerusalem here in verse 25 uh, is referring to the Jewish people as a whole, like, you know. Remember, Paul was dealing with Judaism and uh, you know their legality and, and the the lies that they had been spreading, things like that. So he says, uh, you know, uh, that that law, all this, corresponds with Judaism as we know it right now, the the physical Jewish people uh, as we know them. Now, in verse twenty-six, Jerusalem is mentioned again. It says, "But Jerusalem, which is above, is free." Verse 25, we have a physical Jerusalem, which you know kind of symbolizes the whole nation of Israel. Verse 26, we have a spiritual Jerusalem, which is going to signify the, uh, the people of God, believers, the saved, a spiritual nation. Does that make sense? Anybody head spinning yet? I think mine is. I don't know what's going on. All right. So um, we find there that the Jerusalem above refers to the children of God, as we find in verse 26. Now, Paul is saying that through the law, the Jewish people were in bondage. Now, basically what he's saying to them, he's saying that the Jewish nation as a whole, these Jews that are saying, you've got to keep the law in order to be saved, or in order to keep your salvation, he's saying these people are in bondage. They are enslaved by the law, which actually makes sense because uh, Paul also wrote over in, uh, I believe, the book of Romans that the law was our schoolmaster, it was our tutor, we were servants to it. For what purpose? That it might bring us to Christ. Who, of course, would set us free. So he says Judaism that rejects Christ, Judaism without Jesus, is still in bondage to the law. Why would you want anything to do with that? Why would you want any connection with that whatsoever? It says they are in bondage. The Jews were under the covenant of the law, but we are under the New Covenant, also known as the New Testament, which is the covenant of grace. And so we have two covenants that are being presented here. The first covenant is the covenant God made with Israel through the law. The second covenant is the God, it was also made on a mountain called Calvary. (laughs) And it was a covenant that God God made with Jesus uh, and with believers through his blood. And we, if we have trusted in Christ, we're no longer under this over here. We've been brought under a new covenant, under new commandments, under a New Testament, Uh, which is a spiritual one, in Jesus Christ and with Jesus Christ. And so that's what Paul was getting to, if if that makes sense. Now, there are two outcomes to all this, as we find in verses 28 through 32. Now, before we get down into those verses, I just want to uh, clarify a couple more things, okay? So, in this this allegory, this story with a picture here, Ishmael and Isaac, these two sons that we have, Ishmael... Represents unbelieving Jews, okay, where Isaac represents believers, whether they be Jews or Gentiles, they represent believers because we're all one in Christ, right? And so we have unbelieving Jews in this story uh, represented by Ishmael. Isaac represents believers. I think it's very interesting that uh, Paul that Paul brought all this out uh, because really the the message I think we find here is that becoming a son of promise is not by a physical birth the, the Jewish people as a whole believed that they were the people of promise because they were born under Jewish you know in that Jewish nation but I think Paul's saying here that that being a son of the promise now has nothing to do with a physical birth but with a spiritual birth I find it very interesting if you look there in verse 26, Notice it says, Jerusalem, which is above. Above points to heaven. This is very similar to what Jesus said over in John chapter 3 when he says, um, you must be born again. And the word again there uh, is actually the, the same word that we find here where it says, Jerusalem, which is above. Really, if we were to translate that uh, over in John, what Jesus said to Nicodemus, he says, he says, you must be born from above. Not that you're going to be born a, again, a second birth, but you've had a physical birth. Now you need a spiritual birth. You, you need a heavenly birth. And I just, I just find it fascinating how all that that works in uh, to what we're looking at here. He says, uh, you know, uh, in, in verse 26, Jerusalem, which is above, is talking about a spiritual nation nation of spiritually uh, people, of a promise. Now, keeping all that in mind, let's look at some things here. Uh, Let's talk about Isaac just for a second. In verse 28, we find that like Isaac, we are the children of promise. Now, if you look in verse uh, 28 with me, it says, Now, we, brethren, uh, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. Now, how are we the children of promise? Through Through the blood of Christ, exactly. Through, through spiritual birth, we have been been born into the promise. We are God's people. We are now his holy nation, a peculiar people called by his name, special people. And, uh, and that's what we find here. We are, like Isaac, the children of promise. Verse 29, we see that like Isaac, we are persecuted by the other son. Now, in verse 29, it says, But as, as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the spirit, even so it is now. Uh, now we could we could look at it as you know the unbelievers persecute the believers, but also keep in mind that Jews were persecuting believers as well. And so Ishmael, uh, representing the unbelieving Jews, he says, uh, you know, even back then, Ishmael, one son, was persecuting the son of promise, and so it is now the the nation of Israel is is persecuting the, the sons of promise, uh, even as he did back then. We find in verse uh, in verse thirty verses thirty through thirty one that like Isaac, we are free. It says, Nevertheless, what saith the Scripture, cast out the bondwoman and her son? For the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. Now really, I think the summary of what Paul was getting to here is, if we're free through Christ, why would you want to go back to slavery? Why, why would you want to go back to bondage? The law... The law's done. Christ fulfilled it. law's over. And so we're to enjoy this freedom in Christ. Now, in these verses, although they talk about uh, mostly Isaac here, we also find some things about Ishmael here as well. Like Ishmael, unbelievers are not heirs with us. Like Ishmael, unbelievers reserve hatred for the children of promise, and that's been so throughout history. I think we're going to see more and more of that as we continue on. And like Ishmael, unbelievers are still in bondage. And, uh, you know, of course, that is very sad. Now, I think one thing that is, is important to point out is that with Ishmael and Isaac, there was nothing that Ishmael could do, nothing that he could do whatsoever to change the fact that he was not the son of promise. He had been rejected, and he was going to stay that way. But in this allegory, in this picture, Uh, with the the Ishmael representing unbelieving Jews, uh, even though they because of their unbelief, were not children of promise, that could change. See, they could come to Christ, just as every other Jew and Gentile had had done. They could come to Christ and, and see, you know, realize that he is Lord, realize that he is their Savior, trust him for salvation, and they too could be transferred over to freedom in Jesus Christ, and become part of that promise. And the same is true for all unbelievers today. And so, you know, um, I think that that's something that we always have to look at as well. Maybe not everything fits, you know, just exactly how it did in one story. Ishmael had no hope, but unbelievers today, uh, through God's grace, are given hope if they will turn to Christ. Without Christ, they're not heirs. They're cast out. And they're not to be heirs with, with the free... But through Christ, through Jesus, He can set them free, and they too can become the children of promise. That's all that I have tonight. Does anybody have any uh, any questions or comments about what we've looked at here? No hope. No, no, no hope in the sense of being the son of promise. Right, right. Yeah, not not spiritually. Yeah. Any other questions or comments? Thanks for clarifying that because there may have been others that may have mistook me as well.